get why the fan base is grumpy. That is one heck of a way to lose not only a basketball game, but to lose a series. I've seen a lot of fans being very angry and yelling for this and that, and others saying you're not being reasonable, blah, 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 back and forth. But they're really disappointed because these Jazz fans have invested a lot into their team, and the expectations were so high for this team. You start the series by winning two straight games, and then you drop four straight? After last year complaining about losing three straight and how much you had learned from that, you go out and lose four straight? That's a difficult thing for fans to absorb. Coach Kalani Satake with us. What are you looking for in a starting quarterback? Is there some connective tissue there with players that have had success in your experience? A lot of the things that you look for in a guy that can help you win games, and I feel like we have three really good ones. They're going to have to figure out who's going to be the starter because it's going to come down to whoever earns it. That's the only way I can function as a head coach is to give the starting jobs to the guy that deserves it. So we're going to go with that in mind, and they know I feel really comfortable with them. A-Rod does. The whole coaching staff feels comfortable, and the team feels comfortable with those guys. And I'm really looking forward to them competing and getting better. And with the competition, hopefully all three get better, but the, hopefully one of them will definitely stand out and then take that starting spot. The radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David Locke, you've had a few days now to munch on how the season ended for the Jazz. What's the biggest reason why? The Clippers figured out how to play us without Mike Conley with a somewhat limited Donovan Mitchell, and we never figured out how to play without Mike Conley. I know we were 16-5 and five without Mike Conley in the regular season, but we weren't playing teams multiple nights in a row, and we did figure out how to play offensively. Without Mike Conley, we never figured out how to defend without Rudy Gobert being the centerpiece of what we were doing. If we're really honest about it, that was a season-long issue, trying to see if they could come up with an answer for that, and evidently never found that answer. Dale Murphy was here on the big show. What do you think of the solution to strip search pitchers at the request of the opposing manager? You know, I don't know if it's going to help. It'll probably last about a month, and then everybody's going to get tired. It should be a warning, and they should not tell the guys when they're going to do it, so no one knows when they're going to get checked. You know, someone who played in the 70s and 80s when you hear about foreign substances on the ball and the league all of a sudden wondering what's going on, it does draw a chuckle from a lot of us. I hit against, and I had as a teammate, Gaylord Perry. There wasn't a substance known to man that Gaylord didn't try. Bruce Benedict goes to throw him out at second. He can't hold on to the ball because it's so slick. I get the ball out in center field. I can't grip the ball. There's so much stuff on it. Our infielders are having problems throwing guys out at first base, and no one can. From The Athletic, he's our friend Sam Amick. Mike Conley's a free agent for the first time in his career. How big a factor would his health be in deciding whether or not you want to be in the Mike Conley business? You talk to your sports science people and and just gather all the evidence that you want regarding his own personal history with injury and trying to essentially predict if you invest X amount of money, what percentage of the time can you reasonably expect him to be on the floor? Good luck getting that right, but he's coming off a very good year. I truthfully don't know what the market's going to be elsewhere for money for Mike. Age is always going to come into play. But to me, a hamstring, you know, it's going to recover. And they're obviously a lot better with him. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Sounds of the week right there brought to you by our friends at Davis Vision. Davis Vision's uh, summer LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. 
start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call today, 801-253-3080, Davis Vision. Uh, my brother had LASIK done at Davis Vision on that zone special, and it changed his life, and now I have never been more jealous of another human being. I want so badly to not have to wear glasses or contacts, so I might have to take advantage of that myself. Yeah, I think you do if you're that hungry for Have it. you had LASIK? No. Okay. You, but you don't work glad you just I don't do work, work con- I work contacts. Oh, you do? Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we'll talk with uh, Ralph Russo here of the AP. He's a college football reporter for the Associated Press. Uh, we're working on getting that phone number worked out there. What, what, what do you think is uh, what do you think is the uh, the most interesting aspect to college football coming up locally in the state of Utah? What, one of the things, obviously, is Utah's quarterback. How is that going to work out? Will this kid from Baylor be uh, all that and uh, answer that that issue? Uh, what about BYU? Uh, you know what's going to happen there with those quarterbacks that are in the. Why is so much attention always coming down to the quarterbacks? Uh, mm. I don't know. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah, it, it does kind of feel like that every. Well, year, it's such it? an important position now. It's the only position in team sports that I can think of that's that could even come close to the importance of quarterback play is a pitcher in baseball. And we talked with Dale Murphy about that yesterday. And right now it's more that way than it's ever been before because the pitchers have been so dominant this year. But quarterback is, if you don't have a quarterback, you're dead in the water. That's a, yeah. It, and yeah, there's quarterback fatigue where people get sick and tired of hearing about the quarterback, talking about the quarterback, focusing on the quarterback. If you have a four-year starter, you're still going to be talking about the quarterback first and foremost. Mm. Let alone now you look at Utah, you look at Utah State, you look at BYU, no one has named their for sure, fire, go ahead, this is the starting guy. No one has named it. So what else is going to drive the conversation? It's the quarterback. And without, like you said, without a quarterback, it doesn't matter if you have a star wide receiver. It doesn't matter if you have a star center doesn't matter if you have a star anybody if the quarterback sucks you're gonna suck yeah I, I'm trying to remember who we were talking uh, to earlier in the week it might have been Chris Camerani but we were talking about B- uh, I'm sorry Utah's struggles at quarterback over the long haul and the first thing he said was well how good have their receivers been yeah I thought that was an interesting perspective actually let's run some of this and more by college football reporter for the Associated Press Ralph Russo it's no mystery Utah's in an extreme drought that's why smart rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly find out more at smartrain.net Ralph welcome to the big show thank you how are you hello gentlemen how are you we're doing fine. Uh, we've been talking in the last few minutes about the importance of quarterback. We were talking over some of the uh, over-under predictions for wins and losses for the Utah Cougars. We'll get to all that, but I want to look at or get from you, big picture-wise, your reaction to the Supreme Court of the United States decision ruling against the NCAA earlier this week. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It was it was pretty devastating if you're the NCAA. So it, there's two there's two levels to this. Uh, Short term, sort of micro, the ruling that the court upheld, the lower court ruling about you know education benefits and caps that are not, not being able to schools and NCAA not be able to cap education benefits to athletes 
is a fairly narrow ruling that, yes, I could see the problems that could come about with that. You know, schools could conceivably give, I don't know, is there such a thing as a $25,000 laptop? I mean, you know, you could give a laptop to, to an athlete. And, and, oh, is a car that gets you to class, is that an educational benefit? But, but the NCAA and the schools and the conferences are going to be able to sort of define what an education benefit, educational benefit is. So that part of it, the immediate part of it, uh, of how this is going to be, have to be dealt with, isn't that big of a deal. The bigger deal is the NCAA just un, excuse me the, the court just and just undressed the NCAA as far as like future lawsuits. I mean, what the NCAA was sort of hoping to get out of this is some kind of affirmation that you know even if this particular case doesn't go your way, your other rules are still sort of you know passing the test of antitrust law and that stuff all got stripped away so much to the point where the the 1984 ruling and i won't bore you but it it sort of allowed schools to monetize their tv rights and brought us to where we are today with these billion dollar television deals like the ncaa had always sort of even though it lost that case it had always sort of fallen back on that case because the, the, the court sort of said, listen, we're going to defer to you to make some rules, and we, 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 we're going to provide you a little leeway with these antitrust laws where, like, yeah, you're not really in compliance with them, but what you're doing here is sort of a special thing, a special type of en- enterprise, and we're going to give you a little leeway. And that just got blown out of the water. Basically, it was sort of like saying, like, listen, like what, what you were in 1984, you're not now. Now you're running – billion-dollar minor league football and basketball industries within what you call amateur sports. Everybody's making millions of dollars here except the players. So the bigger problem going forward for the NCAA and college sports is they're going to get sued left and right now because basically the justices said, yeah, like, you are you got no defense here. But, you know, what, what the, the other anybody else who wants to come after you, you're wide open. So, Ralph, what do you think? Is it going to blow it? Is this going to blow this thing wide open like you were talking about so that I, I don't know where the limits will be? I mean, will, uh, will, will players be able to be paid left and right? Um, I mean, I do think we're heading for a, a point where there will be some kind of compensation, like real compensation. Here, here's, the, here's the way out, though. Figure out a way to get some kind of antitrust exemption. From Congress now, they're already in front of Congress, the NCAA, asking for help, right, with NIL. So maybe the future is okay. You know, we let you in for NIL. Can you help us even more? That's not always the best way to go about things, right? <laughs> Having the government run your business is not necessarily the most efficient way to do things. But if you're constantly breaking laws, maybe that's the best way for you to get your house in order. Another way to go about this is collectively bargain with the players. Now, you can do that without them being employees. You can do that without them forming what you would call a labor union. There are ways to do that. Um, And, again, that sounds unthinkable, but if you're partners with the players in some way, shape, or form, then all of a sudden all those antitrust laws you were breaking, you're not really breaking them anymore because you're not imposing this on on the players as much as, 
you're agreeing with the players to set certain parameters. So that sounds really radical, but I think now that's not necessarily going to be the immediate future for college sports, but I think college sports could be heading down a path that looks more like that in the coming years. Do you think that uh, the reverence that some people attach to the word amateurism and amateurism in sports, do you think that that this is a dying idea? Because I, I kind of look at it as the the name and image likeness, even this decision from the, the SCOTUS, I think that it applies to like the top 5%. There are still going to be guys and gals in college sports that are going to be students that happen to play sports. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, no. I, I listen. I, 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 I kind of go back to what I would say, what I mentioned before, and I'll expand on a little bit. Like the college sports model works for lots of college sports, right? It, it's just a, a basically an extracurricular activity in Division Two, in Division Three, and even at the Division One level in some of these other sports. It's something that is a good complement to an education. And you're fortunate enough to get a little to get some money to go to school in a lot of cases for it with a scholarship at some levels like that model works really, really well for most of college sports. The problem is when you have that model and then you take a billion dollar business, which is college, which is college football, and you jam it into that model, the model busts open because now everybody looks around and says, well, wait a second. The offensive coordinators making a million. The running backs coach is making four hundred thousand. Right? Like every deputy AD is making a six-figure salary, and the players who are running this business that's generating billions of dollars aren't getting anything. And that's where it breaks. And that was if you read Judge Kavanaugh's concurrence. Now his concurrence is not a ruling. It's not binding. Like there's nothing in there that says like, oh this sets precedent but it was a pretty good takedown of like listen like you just can't you can't run a business and not pay the workers just because you say well that's that's just the way we do it around here and that's the problem it's become such a big business it's just it just doesn't fit in the model anymore well i'll tell you ralph when i read what he wrote i thought i did i had the same reaction you did it was like whoa well, the, the NCAA isn't going to like this. So, uh, Well, listen, guys, listen, guys, and it, I'm certainly not here to make it political, but think of where we are in this country. A 9-0 decision with that, with, those, with, with mm-hmm. Kavanaugh and Sotomayor and all those, and those justices all agreeing where, where we are politically in this country, I think kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a solid point. Yeah. Ralph, how long have you been covering college football now? It's been a while. Yeah, well, in this particular job for, I think it's like 16, 17 years, yeah. and it goes back a little further than that. So, so the reason I wanted you to set the table that was I'm curious to know what you think of Utah football and, and what direction that program, how far that program has come in your mind as you have covered all this stuff. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is I, I just I had a tweet today about sort of like very complimentary of Kyle Whittingham because – it was one of these, you know, things that you find on Twitter where somebody will ask, you know, uh, what coach sort of gets like uh, has a has a great success but with very little recognition, and I sort of tweeted his name out there, right? Um, because he does a phenomenal job, and Utah football is 
has become one of the bedrocks of the Pac-12. In a Pac-12 where there is very little stability, Utah has provided like stable success. And part of this, the, this, part of the reason why they are successful is because in a, in a conference where there has been very little stability in a lot of the top programs, they have that stability. Um, you know, uh, I think that they have um, – they're probably a program with a little bit of a ceiling as far as whether – as we saw a couple of years ago, like are they ever going to be a program that has national championship sort of caliber teams? Probably not. Uh, and when you look at what those national championship caliber teams look like, when you look at the Ohio States and the Alabamas, it's a very, very small group of teams that, that are qualify as elite do I think Utah can get there? Probably not, because it's probably not recruiting at that level. But I mean, they got good. They're always good on the lines, and they've got really good coaches. And as of right now, I would take them as maybe the favorites in the Pac-12 South. And, and they, and again, they do this every year while constantly sort of being underrated. They they always go into these seasons a little overlooked. Now, not a couple of years ago when they had their big 10-win ten, ten season, but they come in a little overlooked, and all of a sudden you get to November, and you're like, wow, Utah's really good again. And that's, and that's been Utah football's brand for the last, you know, basically about 10 years. Uh, John Wilner, who you're aware of and maybe even know, writes for the San Jose Mercury News, he joined uh, this show when the Utes were first announced as joining the Pac-12, and we asked him how long before Utah wins a Rose Bowl and he said 25 years. <laughs> what does Ralph Russo say now that we're 12 years down the road from that? Well, I mean, we are halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and again, and, and again, for all the complimentary things to say about Utah, right, they haven't won. They haven't gotten over the, the hump because, you know, even after winning two Pac-12 South titles. Now, the other part of it I would say is, what it means to be and even reach a Rose Bowl is going to change, right? Because because the new playoff system might make being in a Rose Bowl a very different thing. I would say that this season's got a pretty good chance. My guess is here's what I would generally say with those things. If you're in the hunt, you'll break through at some point. If you're constantly in the hunt at some point, things will break in your favor and you will be, and you will get there. So are they going to go another 13 years without, let's say, winning a Pac-12? And, and I'll stop you there, Ralph. I was wrong. It's been 10 years. Uh, it was okay. now, they, okay. they joined in 2011. So anyway, but That's, your yeah. point remains. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. But so, so do I think that they, they will go 15 more years without, let's say, mm -hmm. winning a Pac-12? Let's put the Rose Bowl aside because, again, that might not be the, 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 the crown jewel for winning the Pac-12. I would say they would probably – I would take the under on that. <laughs> on 15 more years, I would take the under because, again, they've proven that they have the ability to be in the mix. They have a formula and a good identity and have a pretty good idea of how to maximize what they have. They don't have the best of everything. When I say that, I mostly am talking about access to really elite recruits. But kind of like Wisconsin and, some, and maybe in Iowa – they have a really good formula for seeing here's what we do well. Here are the players that we can get, that we can get a lot of them. And let's do the best we can with that formula. And programs like that to me are, you know, you're going to be in the hunt. So, again, if we're talking un over under 15 years before Utah wins the Pac-12, I would take the under. 
So, Ralph, uh, let's go down a little farther south, 45 miles, BYU. Did you buy what they were selling last year, or do you have sort of a little bit of skepticism there? Uh, they lost uh, the number two pick in the draft, obviously, and now they're trying to put it back together against a very difficult schedule this year. What do you make of BYU football? Yeah, I, I don't think the encore is going to be very good because I just I just don't listen. I just don't think you can lose a player like they lost with Wilson and, and just think like, oh, okay, well we'll we'll pick up from where, where we left off. They also had a really good offensive line and um, last year, and they lost some major pieces to that too. So uh, with a with a with a really tough schedule and no Wilson, I imagine a a fallback this year. I will say this about Utah. I I was pretty much buying what they were selling last year, and I am I am thoroughly convinced that if they played Coastal Carolina on normal rest in a normal week with normal preparation, that they would have beat them. I, I mean, that was a fabulous game, and that's not taking anything away from the Chanticleers, who were a fab, fabulous story. But there was also no doubt in my mind after watching that football game which one which one was the better team, and I thought you, uh, the BYU was the better team that had a few things that not went go their way and probably got a little antsy with their play calling. Um, I thought that that team probably could have competed, maybe not with the very best teams of the in the country, not Alabama because Alabama was all time great and maybe like the, the elite of the elite. But if you took the next tier of teams, you know, let's say five to fourteen or so, I thought BYU would would, would represent pretty well with Wilson and, and that offensive line last year. Now again, what what's in store for this year when you when you lose a guy like Wilson, um, is probably a pretty good regression against that schedule. Uh, but Kalani Sataki seems to have a pre- pretty good idea of what he's doing now. And I think getting some of that Utah, that excuse me, that BYU identity back, um, I'm sure it helped the program a lot too. But again, I, I just think that, you know, if they had a great year last year, I would be hard-pressed to see them repeating that. He's Ralph Russo. Follow him on Twitter, Ralph D. Russo AP. Get his work at collegefootball.ap.org. We'll do this again several times uh, over the offseason and this coming season, Ralph. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Be well. Uh, and like he says in his Twitter bio, and you asked him, he's been at this since 2005, so he's seen a lot of change yeah. and a lot of uh, different things. Yeah, that's why I was interested in, in sort of getting those big-picture snapshots from him about uh, Utah's. You know, what what Utah's done has just been fantastic. Uh, and and But I, I do think they need to develop that passing game a little more. And it, so – I guess I don't give them sort of a pass and say, oh, wow, look what they've done. I think that program is good enough to do more. Yeah, I think, I, I think yeah. they are good enough. I think that is a quality. Ralph said he didn't think it could maybe the athletes. I, I don't know. I'm not going to say that. I, they've come awfully close with what they have. And, and so I, I, my expectations for what Kyle Whittingham has built at Utah – are pretty high, and I, I think they do need to develop that passing game a little more so that they can compete at the highest level. I I think that's that should be their goal, and I think it's a it's plausible. I really do, but that's that's just my opinion. We're live at the warehouse today, eighteen twenty five South, three hundred West in Salt Lake. Furniture and all things you need in your home for a fraction of what you'll get it anywhere else and it's still amazing high quality stuff clayton joins us now and clayton last time you were on with us uh, last hour you talked about 
the adjustable uh, base deal that you had going. Eight ninety nine for the adjustable base, and you'll throw in that queen mattress for free. How are you making money? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Good question, Austin. You know, it, it's a it's a secret that my dad learned early on when he got into these kind of businesses of. Um, for those who are good friends with my dad, know that he used to be with uh, D-Mart and buy it wholesale. And that's really where he learned that, you know, if you want to save people money, you have to buy it cheap. So I and my dad, we go out, we find deals, and we pass those deals on to the customer. And it's, I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not a secret that if you buy it cheap, then you can sell it for cheap and still make a still make an honest living and and get people into get people into something that they like and they didn't have to you know sell their house get a mortgage to to get into it and and look when you buy a mattress or you buy a bed you're investing in yourself right I'm a big runner I ran on a, on a scholarship uh, at the Red BYU in Hawaii paid for all my schooling um, uh, running. And every four weeks, we would change shoes. After about 250 to 320 miles on a pair of shoes, we would change so that we wouldn't get stress fractures, we wouldn't get shin splints. And there's no difference on a car, right? You know, after a couple hundred miles, thousands of miles, you change the tires on your car. The same is with a mattress, right? If you spend six to nine hours every day, hopefully nine, I wish I could get nine hours, but if you spend five to nine hours every night on a mattress, your back, your body, your health needs these kind of investments. You deserve it. You need it. And there's, in my mind, there's no difference than changing running shoes or changing tires on a car. And it's so important. I can't stress it enough that help in taking care of your body and taking care of who you are. Everything that we've gone through as a family uh, with my dad and still being in the hospital 138 days. Uh, now, it's so important to take care of your body and take care of yourself. And, you know, you don't need to spend a fortune on it. You don't need to spend $5,000. You don't need to spend $3,000. Come in and spend not even $1,000. Come spend eight ninety nine, get an adjustable base, and I'll give you a free mattress. Because I buy at those terms, so I pass those terms on. And guess what? This week, not only adjustable bases... But on Tuesday, I got six different sectionals, 10 by 9 feet stationary sectionals. And you can find sectionals on the Internet, on any, any of my competitors that are next to me, for maybe $21.99. Some crazy construction sale that's going on on 3rd West right now. we got crazy construction, $19.99. I have six different colors. In stock inventory right now. You come in, you sit on it, you like it, you buy it, you take it today. Thirteen ninety nine. Wow. Boom. We would love to earn your business. Like I said, we have the inventory. We're Utah's lowest prices, guaranteed on an adjustable basis. Come check us out and get yourself into a, either a good sectional, a sofa and a love set that we talked about today, or an adjustable bed for you and your wife or just yourself. Unbelievable. And you guys do deliver. That's correct. Of course we deliver. You need it delivered, take it home. If you got a truck or a good situation, pick it up and take it today. Awesome. Clayton, uh, you guys are, are a Salt Lake staple, and you're taking care of our listeners. We appreciate it. We'll check back in with you. 
Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. 1825 South, 300 West. Uh, come in, check out the deals. If you're in the market for anything in your home, I'm, I promise you, come in. They'll have it or can get it for you at a fraction of what you were expecting to pay. And we've got jazz gear. Swing in, say hi to Gordon, grab some jazz gear, and get a good weekend started the right way. Coming up next, we'll talk about the jazz in our NBA Daily Assist with Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated right here on The Big Show. To Sports Radio Afternoon Show. I grind every day just so I can live a better life. This is The Big Show. Presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing. Big O Tires. The team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Let's waste no time. It's the big show, and it's time for the NBA Daily Assist. Eric, uh, introduce our guest for us. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Howard, there are uh, much more important things in the headlines that we could talk about today, but let's stay with the, let's stick with basketball, I suppose, but with a nod to uh, the realization that uh, life is bigger than sports, and sports provides a, a nice escape sometimes from those things. The Clippers, down 0-2 again, suddenly win. I was just telling Gordon in the break, if they come back and win this thing and then win the championship, they're just showing off, aren't they? It would be one of the most remarkable runs we've ever seen. Um, you know, like there's so much about this postseason that has been about the unexpected anyway, you know, um, starting with, you know, Utah and Phoenix having the two best records in the league, um, moving on to the Hawks being in the conference finals, the fact that the, the, the Nets and the Lakers with all their stars are nowhere to be seen, um, the Clippers coming back from all these 0-2 deficits, the Suns being in a command position actually to make the finals and, and, and maybe perhaps win their first championship in franchise history. There's just so much, uh, you know, like the, the only, like there's a couple of predictable things, right? Like the Clippers, if you rolled back the clock a few months, you'd think this is where they were kind of supposed to be, but just not the path they've taken. And also without Kawhi Leonard and the Bucks were another team that you thought this is where they were supposed to be. But so much about this postseason has been the unexpected. And, and so yeah, for the for, if the Clippers do this again, it'd be remarkable. I'm not sure that they can. I don't, you know, they 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 came back from those other O2 deficits with both of their stars intact, and I don't get the sense that we're going to see Kawhi Leonard again. It's just a hunch. I don't know any inside any. I have no inside knowledge on this, but I don't think Kawhi Leonard's coming back. And if he's not coming back, as great as Paul George has played, as much uh, you know as they've gotten out of guys like Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann. Like they're they've really gutted it out, and they've had some really nice performances from role guys. But I don't think you're beating the Suns um, three more times if Kawhi Leonard's not playing. So Howard, I understand the addition of Chris Paul and what that's meant for the Suns. But answer me this question, if you can: How did they get so good so quickly? I think it's actually more gradual than what we've um, perceived, and. 
you go back, you know, however many drafts it was, it's been seven years or so since they hired, or since they uh, drafted Devin Booker, right? And so Booker comes in, really talented, works, works hard, has styled himself after Kobe Bryant, who is his hero. Booker has a 70-point game in Boston, and everybody actually looks at it sideways because of the way he got it and all this. And so they get this, you get this sense that they've got a, a potential star, but people look at it as, as some kind of empty calories star, big numbers, but no wins behind it. But they had so much dysfunction, organizational dysfunction, um, you know, changes in, in, at, on the bench constantly, roster turnover, you know, revolving door at point guard. They just – there was too much instability there. But along the way, and in the same draft, they take DeAndre Ayton, number one. They make the, the draft day trade for Miles Bridges. And now you've got three cornerstone pieces, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Miles Bridges, all starters. Devin Booker was already on his way to stardom. Aiton is, 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 is getting there. Bridges, maybe he'll never be an all-star, but he's going to be like a really great, you know, secondary type player. And then you make the hire of Monty Williams. And, and you know, they went 8-0 in the bubble last year, and it was hard to know what to make of that. A lot of people thought it, that meant a lot, 8-0 in the bubble. And I thought, well, the whole year is weird, and I don't know what the bubble games really meant. But I think in retrospect, it actually did mean something. It gave them some kind of momentum, and it gave them some kind of, uh, identity and, and cohesion, and it was maybe the first time that we've really seen Monty Williams' stamp on them. And then they get Chris Paul after it. And Chris Paul, as we've already seen in Oklahoma before, like he uh, he just lifts guys up. He he makes everybody better. He's really demanding. He's a great leader, and he's a point guard too. So his whole job is putting guys in their best position. So uh, it, it's it's kind of all at once in the sense that they jumped from lottery team to conference finals and potentially finals. But I think it's also gradual and that they were adding pieces along the way and each, and, and then they had just the internal development of those young players. And, and this is where they landed. Another uh, aging point guard who uh, is making a big difference for a franchise, Mike Conley. I'm assuming the jazz will want to and try to do everything they can to bring him back, and, but ultimately it's Mike and Mary Conley's decision, Howard. If you're Mike Conley, if you can put yourself in his position, where he came from, Memphis, it took him almost a full year to adjust to that shock into a new system here with the Utah Jazz. What do you think the likelihood is that he is leaning, that he wants to stay with the Jazz, or do you think that he might be uh, looking out outside? No intel on that, but listen, Mike Conley is a guy who is going to have a lot of interest. There are so many teams that could use a veteran point guard um, of his skills and his, you know, his character, everything. You know, there, there's not going to be a, a team in the league, a GM in the league, a, a coach in the league, a player in the league who doesn't like Mike Conley. So, you know, the Celtics traded away Kemba Walker. I don't know that the Celtics have the means to get Mike Conley, but the Celtics could really use him. The Sixers, whether they keep Ben Simmons or not, I think need a point guard. He'd be great with, with the Sixers. The Miami Heat could use him. Um, the Lakers could use him for sure. Uh, and, you know, and everybody's got their own situation in terms of salary cap and what they, what they can offer. Mike Conley's made a lot of money in his career too. So a lot of this just depends on what he and his family are going to prioritize. Is it about biggest contract you can get because maybe it's one of the last contracts you sign is it about where you can win a championship is it about just comfort city coach roster i mean there's so many things that go into these decisions for players 
and everybody's got their own way of, of kind of, you know, filling out that matrix. And so I don't know what Conley's ultimate decision will be or what will drive it, but he will have options. I, I, have, I have no doubt about that. Now, some of those options might be minimum contracts or mid-level exceptions, that kind of thing, but he'll definitely have options. So we've been tearing this thing apart, Howard, and putting it back together as far as what the Jazz need to uh, to take another step forward after what happened against the Clippers. And we, we've come to the conclusion that defense, perimeter defense would help, or maybe a little length along those lines. But I have a question for you about uh, organic growth with the Jazz. How much better can Donovan Mitchell get? Do you think he's reached his peak yet, or do you think he, he might yet take, uh, take uh, another leap? With the understanding that we never know, and you know, it's hard to, to chart anybody's trajectory, and you know, a lot of it is contextual, who you're playing with. Some of it is um, just how much a guy works and all that. I'm going to guess this, that Donovan Mitchell is nowhere near his peak yet. And I say that because we've seen nothing but steady progression. We know he's a high-character guy. You guys know that better than anybody. And there's no question he's going to work hard. And there's no question he's got a, a desire to be to be great. And, like, it starts with that. There are plenty of players in this league who are happy to just have the talent, get paid really well, have a nice lifestyle, don't necessarily feel the need to be great or the greatest or to win at a high level. And that's fine. Like, everybody's built differently. I always have gotten the sense that Donovan Mitchell is built, you know, more in, in the way of the, uh, you know, the old school basketball, you know, um, stars that he did. He's a competitor that he's, you know, you hate to invoke guys like Kobe or Jordan or whatever, but he, he seems to have that kind of desire. I think Devin Booker has that too. And so the guys who really want it work at it and they keep evolving and, and adding to their game and, he can he can be better. He can be more efficient. He can make better decisions with the ball as a playmaker. There, there, there's there's plenty he can do to improve, and that's not a knock at all. Like he's already great. But um, if your question is, can he get even better? Yeah, I mean, almost everybody in this league can, aside from maybe LeBron James. So, um, I, I I think that's where their growth comes. But it's not going to be enough, right? Like they could use perimeter d as you mentioned you know i mean the jay crowder miles bridges tandem in phoenix is is really critical and you know can can you can you get some wings like that but you know you you might be giving up a little bit too although both those guys can shoot it too so that's the thing like the jazz have wings who can shoot the three but maybe aren't as as great defensively um you know but but even as i say that like i think they overall we're doing pretty well like i i you know it's hard. There's so many different ways because every piece you pull is is like you're you're losing something. You got to gain something somewhere else. Can you just change out one piece? Do you have to change out several? Like it's it's a it's a tough puzzle. Like I don't I don't know what the the key to the Jazz jumping forward is short of the obvious, which is like oh go trade for another star. Like but you know good luck with that. There aren't that many. You know, well, let me add one thing to what you just said about Donovan. Uh, you probably saw him, Howard, after after the loss to the Clippers. He was devastated, man, and it was real. It wasn't one of these, okay, I'm going to put on a show for the camera. He couldn't even really talk in complete sentences. He was emotionally charged that way, and I, I thought that was a good thing. Absolutely. I mean, I know people have, have had their doubts about, like, Joel Embiid, but I liked seeing you know, Joel Embiid come to tears a couple years ago. 
and that, that the, the losing hurts, that it, it matters, it bothers him. And, you know, how, you know, and everybody will express themselves differently in a moment like that, whether it's tears, whether it's anger, whether it's whatever. You, like if you see the anguish on their face, that's a great sign. It means they care. Um, and, and, again, we can't assume that, all, that, that everybody does. Not all 450 care to the same degree. I think I think Donovan Mitchell absolutely cares, and I like I think I think the Jazz have plenty of, 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 to look forward to when it comes to him. It's still more a matter of what else can you do around him. You mentioned Joel Embiid. Uh, Howard's latest crossover podcast is with the CEO of the Sixers, Scott O'Neill. I would recommend everyone go check it out because while the Sixers do still have their dramas going on, <laughs> they've come a long way from when Scott first walked into that job, Howard. And I thought it was a great uh, a great episode. So I'd encourage people to check it out. But as we as we leave you for this week, what do you make of the Ben Simmons Doc Rivers? Uh, we'll say uh, drama. Yeah, <laughs> appreciate the plug. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of us around the league, reporters and, and, and scouts, pundits, everybody. A lot of people have long had doubts about the Ben Simmons Joel Embiid tandem, and the Sixers have always said, no, 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 no. Like, we've got two top 15 players here. We're good. Don't worry about us. Um, and it's fine that Ben Simmons doesn't want to shoot. But it's obviously hit a new level here. It's, it's, it's become rather extreme when he's not shooting in fourth quarters of critical playoff games and doesn't want to go to the line and is shooting terribly from the line. You know, he, he, he needs a change of scenery. Um, he need be, you know, he obviously needs to to work on his on his shot. Like maybe he just like it's not like he hasn't in the past, but maybe he hasn't had the right people working with him. Can the Sixers do that? Can they fix it all, both the physical and and the mental part of this for him, or does he need just need to change his scenery? I I, I tend to think it's the latter. We know Daryl Morey's already tried to trade him before to try to get James Harden, which that didn't obviously come to fruition. But um, Daryl Morey's always aggressive. And it certainly seems like like that team has hit the end of the road with that configuration. And I think Simmons still has value out there, maybe a little bit less than he would have if you traded him six months ago or a year ago. But there's still plenty of teams that would love to have a 6'10 guy who can handle and defend five positions and and run a point. Maybe you don't want him running point full time, but I, I think Ben Simmons still has a lot of value around the league. I think you know, they got to find the right deal. But I, I think they're, you know, that that's the goal. If you were an executive or a coach and you were going to get Ben Simmons, Howard, uh, you mentioned it right there, but would you play him at the point or would you move him to a different position? With the caveat that I am not an NBA head coach, <laughs> um, I, I don't think you can have a primary ball handler, a, you, you're your full-time point guard, in 2021 if they cannot and will not shoot we're in a three-point era where it's not just about whether you can hit the three it's whether you're going to take them you got to take them in volume you saw that that's how the jazz in fact made their big leap as a team was to decide to really emphasize it so to have a guy who's who's handling the ball as their primary playmaker and then all defenses have to do is 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 sag off him and clog it up for everybody else because you know he's not going to hit, he's not going to hurt you with the three, and he's not even going to try to take it. Nor is he going to try to take the twenty footer or the eighteen footer or the twelve footer for that matter. That, that clogs things up. So yeah, I think he's better off at pretty much any other position. Maybe he's a point center type. Um, maybe he's you know he's, he could be powerful. I mean, he could play any position. He can defend any position. We know that. So. Um, but I think put him with a true point guard, with somebody else who 
is a, an elite ball handler, passer, scorer, and who will shoot. And then at times in the game, Ben Simmons can be the one to grab the rebound and push it up court. And he can be the one to maybe run the second unit as well when your primary point guard's off the court. But no, I don't, I don't think he should be a full-time point guard. And again, I'm not an NBA head coach. He's Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated and the Crossover Podcast, and uh, he carries all of Chris Mannix's uh, hair products when they travel <laughs> together. So, it's yeah, heavy, man. My back is sore. <laughs> it's a lot of product. Yep. <laughs> Howard, have a good week. We'll talk to you next Friday. Appreciate it, fellas. Talk to you later. Thanks, pal. All right, we're late. Let's get out to a break. Come back on the other side with a tri-day trading uh, market update and talk to Clayton from the warehouse where we are at 1825 South, 300 West, here in Salt Lake. The big show rolls on next. Oh, my gosh, I almost said it's the movie zone. It's the big show here on the Zone Sports Network, live at the warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. It's time for a trydaytrading.com market update. Uh, Now anyone can be a day trader. Visit trydaytrading.com. Gordon, are the uh, Monson fortunes flourishing or flummoxing today? Uh, First of all... (laughs) First of all, okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do some here. Normally, Uh-oh. when I give each one of these reports, you slip in some sort of drop of some sort. Okay. You can't do that today because you're here with me doing the show here. So, <laughs> when I give this report, I want your reaction, you know, and use your creativity that you have. Wow, no, no pressure. To, okay. To uh, respond. All right. Okay. All right. The Dow had a good day. It was up 237 points. Woohoo! <laughs> that wasn't very creative. <laughs> I thought you were going to break out in song or something. That was the first one. The NASDAQ was down uh, nine points. <laughs> the S&P was up uh, just over 14 points. Mm, yes, yes. The millions are feeling very well today, swirling my brandy. Boy, am I glad I did that. In a smoking jacket <laughs> and a sweet tobacco. <laughs> anyway, bring so. the Bring the uh, Lamborghini around, will you, Jeeves? Would you have to have any great coupons? A celebra- do, you, do you even remember those commercials? A celebratory drive through the mountains shall make me feel better. I yes, only I have one Porsche. I remember those commercials. They were awful. Everyone loved them. They were so stupid. You, I can't believe you remember that. It seems like that was, what, were you three years old? Well, I, I had great parents that let me watch a lot of TV. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Did they really? Uh, I, no, they were very, they they were fair in how much. They like how me. much, how much when you were a kid growing up could you? Because I, I don't remember having rules in that regard. Um, It wasn't necessarily, there wasn't like a set number. It was by feel <laughs> and attitude. Okay. I could get away with more if I was if they asked me to go take out the garbage and I jumped up and went and did it. Ah. That usually bought me a little more time on the TV. Okay. If I was like, but mom, I'm watching this show. 
TV off. Not only am I doing the garbages, I'm scrubbing the cans after I empty. So did you learn to uh, no to be compliant? I've nope. Uh uh-uh. uh. That's I've never I've never <laughs> been compliant. I wonder if uh, Clayton was compliant. <laughs> We're here at the warehouse, eighteen twenty-five South, three hundred West in Salt Lake. Uh, price is so low it'll blow your mind. And Clayton. Did you have rules growing up uh, regarding uh, how much television you were allowed to watch? Are you kidding me, man? Have you met my mom? Of course. <laughs> I couldn't even watch. I couldn't even watch The Simpsons. Get oh, out of here! I wasn't allowed to watch Simpsons either. That's yeah. That was that was a rule. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was. About, right. It was. I think it was. I think it was. I think it was Arthur and maybe Recess. Recess was a little bit edgy at the curl home. Oh, we're just getting back into Arthur at our house with our three-year-old. It's awesome. I love Arthur. <laughs> so, Clayton, were you? Hey, well, last where, break, where, I, I. Go ahead. Sorry, Gordon. Uh, I'm just going to ask you <laughs> if you were an obedient child. You know, actually, with, with things like TV, I would. I'd rather be, you know, at the park or, or in my neighborhood. It was the church lawn. Playing kick the can or flies up, or you know, three v three basketball in the backyard, than watching TV. So things like that, I was very obedient. But you know, I'm t- I think Clayton seems like he's Clayton. You seem like you're a skateboarder. Were you, were you into <laughs> those kinds of things? You know, I never owned a skateboard. I was really into rollerblading, extreme uh, sports, okay. big time skiing, okay. wakeboarding. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But also, I mean, traditional sports, like I was a collegiate athlete, dual collegiate athlete, soccer and cross-country and track. So I guess three sports. One more thing before I let you go ahead and tell everybody the deals that you have. (laughs) I met Clayton when he was like six years old. Did you know that? Uh, Yeah, he tells it uh, in this regard that he asked you on an airplane, uh, (laughs) Hey, Mr. Monson, I'm a fan. Will you sign? You said, get out of here, kid. This is first class. Get out of here. I did not say that. Clayton and I'm his, Gordon Munson. Clayton and Tom are on their way back to watch uh, the Jazz and the Bulls. I believe it was, wasn't it, Clayton? And uh, we happened to, to uh, be sitting that's next correct. to each other. Yeah. All right. That, that's that's correct. We, uh, my dad's so cool, man. I've been to so many different sporting events, and sports is so important in my home and and the bond I have with my dad. And that's why the twelve the twelve eighty family is so close to us, and why it makes sense. I mean. There's not a lot of people that sell furniture on sports talk radio, but we found the niche and we're so grateful for for you guys and we're grateful for the listeners. I I am one thousand percent convinced that twelve eighty has the best listeners. We have a great audience, a great family. Our our biggest advertisement is word of mouth. We're we're a small family business and people come in, they buy from us, they save money. And they tell their friends, their family, and everybody comes in. Tom, you and Tom, listen, I got this much. What can I get? And I'm sure my dad pulls out his phone, tells a story about, oh, you got to be Clayton. He's doing this. And <laughs> Christopher's here. And the people that know my dad know that that's just a person he is. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what the business is built around. And that's why we, we do what we do. And, you know, in the last break when you asked me, how do you make money? And it's exactly that. My dad goes and fights out for, fights for deals so we can pass those deals on. And, and I, I talked about in the last uh, break, I talked about a queen adjustable base. And I realized that our audience 
probably 80%, if not 75%, need a king-size bed, whether that's because, you know, they have a spouse or, you know, they have a family or whatever the situation is. And so this week we also, with that shipment and container I got of the queen, I also got solid king bases as well. And I wanted to talk about this solid king deluxe adjustable base because the queen is awesome. You can get it for $899, which normally would cost you anywhere $3,000, $2,200. It's only $899, and if you buy it, you get a free mattress. What I'm doing with the king is the king has all the bells and whistles. This is a solid king, so it's not a split. It's not a his and a hers. If you're worried that, oh, there's going to be a gap, and how do I cuddle my loved one, and I don't I don't want it to be Moses and split the red key in the bed, you know, whatever. We have a solid king adjustable base, which means you can put a solid king mattress on top of it. All the bells and whistles, head adjust, the foot adjust, two zone massages. So the head massage, massaging zone, the foot massaging zone. USB charging ports, two on each side, four in total with LED lights under the bed and a control that has a flashlight on it. You can find this on the internet. Regular price. Regular price. Four ninety nine. Maybe on sale for thirty eight ninety nine. Here at the warehouse, we're doing the solid king adjustable base at two eighty twenty eight ninety nine. I apologize. I was getting a little excited myself. $28.99. And if you buy that adjustable base, I'm throwing in a solid king mattress for only $299. Wow. That means for $31.99, you get the adjustable base and the mattress. The entire package with that the other guys would cost you $38.99. Solid wow. king adjustable base, $28.99, $300 more, you get that uh, 12-inch king-size mattress. Boom. Boom! Amazing. Take that stimulus money and uh, spend it on the rest of your life today here at the warehouse and then have some left over still. It's amazing. Thank you, Clayton. We'll call you back. Thanks, guys. All right, it's the big show coming up on the other side. We'll do a little what's going on. Check in with DJ and PK and Hanson Scotty. Still more of Gordon's list to come. And uh, later at 5 o'clock, Jeremiah Jensen of KSL Sportsbeat will join us. Talk all things jazz, Utes, Cougars, and whatever else we want right here on The Big Show.